Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. Welcome. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, I hope I get to do that today. My name is Nick Allen. I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. And we're three weeks into a series that I'm really excited about called The Jesus Way because I'm fresh, like Patrick was saying a minute ago, off of spring break. And all of our attention is turned towards Easter. And so we're looking at, celebrating, and excited about Jesus. Now, I know this week you may have a lot going on. Um, and you may be looking forward to some things, yes, maybe. Um, and you also may be dreading some things. Sorry about it. It just happens. I get it. And sometimes it's simultaneously a little bit of both. Okay, so way back in the 1900s when my wife and I were in undergraduate school, we were prepping in December to graduate, and I was so excited about everything that was going on. But more excited about graduation, I was actually excited about our wedding, which was also coming up. Some people ask, well, why did you get engaged and get married so young? It's because I saw graduation on the horizon and the thought and the potential of us moving to a different city and becoming like young adult professionals in other places and knew that if I didn't lock it down right then, she could go off and find someone better. Like compared to all my other knucklehead friends, I was okay. But if she had gotten out there in the big wide world and met other people, I did not know where I would stand. And so we had to put a ring on it. And so we were engaged at graduation, sitting side by side in a giant auditorium, preparing to have our names called out. And it dawned on me as she walked across the stage, Susan Kofer. We graduated with the exact same to the decimal point GPA, by the way. It's because the Lord knew how competitive we are and that one of us would forever lord it over the other. As she heard her name called Susan Kofer, I go, wow, the next time I'm this dressed up ever, she's going to be called Susan Allen. Like I was so excited about what was going to happen in the months to come, but also simultaneously filled with dread. I want to say this morning that context matters. And when something happened is almost as important as what is happening. Because we're graduating, we're engaged, we're getting ready to get married. But it was December of 1999. And some of you remember this little thing called Y2K. While we're all prepping for our wedding, our parents are back at home pulling all their money out of the bank and hiding it in shoeboxes in the closets. We're stocking canned goods and shotgun shells waiting for the entire world to fall apart because 
On December the 31st at 11.59 p.m., everything under the sun was going to stop working. The gas pumps would not work. The clock-in things would not work. Computers would cease to exist because somehow turning from 99 to 00 was going to be too complex. We didn't know if we were going to be able to buy bread because it was probably going to cost $18. Nobody would be able to drive to the grocery store. The clerk couldn't clock in or scan your bread. We were going to be out of luck. And I was over in the corner begging the Lord to tarry so that I could get married. (laughs) And yet we all, you can have this sense of excitement over what's happening and yet also couched in the context of when it's happening, have a sense of dread that you don't quite know what's going on. We're spending the next six weeks in the final week of Jesus's life. All the things that are happening have a context of when they are happening that makes a difference for us. And we land in John chapter 17. You can go and turn your Bibles there if you want to today. It's called the priestly prayer of Jesus. And we'll get to why in a minute. If we had gone all the way back earlier in John, like chapter 12, we would have seen Jesus come into the city praised and heralded as the coming king who would literally save his people. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead and people are lining the streets and they're shouting Hosanna. He's riding the back of a donkey and they're welcoming him because they're ready to be free. They're looking forward to something that they think is about to happen that they cannot wait for. Jesus goes into an upper room with his disciples. He celebrates the Passover meal but frames it in a brand new context for them and tells them the hour has come. I'm about to be handed over. I'm going to die. The thing that they're looking the most forward to, freedom from Rome, no more oppression, we're restored, is now being couched into the fact that their key leader is a about to be killed. He washes their feet, sets the stage for service, and then tells them he's going to go. And in this moment, with his disciples gathered around in earshot, he's praying to the Father about who he is and what it means to follow. In John chapter 14, he says these words, hey, I'm about to go, but that's okay because you know the way. And they're like, well, we don't know the way. And he's like, this is it. I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Hang on, guys. And if you'll go the way I'm going, you'll spend eternity with me in heaven. So that's where we land today on this eve of context. The book of John that we're in this morning and throughout this series has been divided by scholars in a lot of different ways. Primarily, we're looking at two. If you go from John chapter 1 all the way to the middle of John chapter 12, you get the book of signs, the book of wonders, all these miracles, all these moments, all these exciting occurrences. And then we transition into this this book of glory. Everything that's happened for the last week of Jesus's life has been designated the book of glory. And we're talking about the passion of the Christ when he goes to the cross and comes back to life. And this is what Jesus did. He prayed. He prayed at the conclusion of the meal in an upper room. Judas is gone. They're about to head into the garden where he's going to pray some more and eventually be arrested, tried, convicted, crucified. The disciples have gone from planning their absolute best, most triumphant moment to anticipating one of the worst. And then what they're grasping at for some kind of goal or some kind of objective, Jesus outlines it in these words. Our prayer goal ought to be the same as his prayer goal total surrender. So Jesus looks, and after he said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed in verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, we read this before, that they know you 
the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And if that's our squad goal for anything in life, we can say, I want to bring God glory by doing all of the work that he has assigned for us to do. And he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's called the priestly prayer of Jesus. And, and every week, a year, there was, a, there was a high priest, an appointed high priest who offered the atoning sacrifice for all the people. But then they would have to do it all over again the next year. And Jesus praying these words, indicating who he was, because in Christianity, Jesus Christ offered himself. He's the high priest, the once and for all high priest, who became the atoning sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. That word glorify that we read several times in this passage, it's the Greek word Doxazo, and I want you to hear the definition. It means to extol, to praise, to celebrate, to honor. This is my favorite part. Adorn with luster. Anybody remember the bedazzler? I think they're coming back. Like literally just making it shiny, making it notice. It stands out. Render it excellent. Make renown. Cause the dignity and the worth of one to become manifest and acknowledged. I grew up with an expression, oh yeah, I just want to give God glory. And I do know what we mean in that moment, but, but that idea of like, oh, I just want to give God glory. You and I do not give God glory. Like he already had, like we're not giving God something he doesn't already have. Like he's not shy a few bits of glory and that's okay because here we are ready to bring it. He already has all the glory. We just get to recognize it and acknowledge it and expose it to the people who don't yet know it. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's the work that he accomplished and that's the, the work that we're called to and it takes total surrender to make it happen and that's what Jesus is doing. Completely surrendering his whole life to the will and the way and the work of his father. And that's what you and I are called to as well. I love one of the parts of this prayer. It's like, it's like Jesus prayed past, prayed, but he also prays present, like, like right now. In verse 9, it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And it foreshadows verse 20 because he says, my prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for all who will believe in me through their message. How does it make you feel to know that Jesus prays for you? To know that you can be in the palm of God's hands. And that Jesus Christ, our high priest, our atoning sacrifice is literally praying for, interceding for, bringing your name before the throne of Almighty God. Heather Zimple is a pastor and a teacher and an author. She's in Washington, D.C. I like to read her books and follow what she's in. My favorite thing she's ever said is this. People read their Bible like they read a yearbook. Y'all know yearbooks. You know, you get them in school. Um, FYI, high school parents or future high school parents, your books are real expensive right now. We're taking out a collection at the end of the service or a second mortgage on my home to make sure that my kids can get your books one day. You know what you do when you get one. Like you open it up and you immediately skim through all the pages where you can find your picture. Like you want to know all the pages that you're on. Heather Zimple says we read the Bible that way. We're skimming through all the stories and all the pages and all the promises where, where we're the subject. And the problem with that is that, that you and I aren't the key character in this word. And if we're looking for all the pages that we're on, we're going to miss all the points that God makes about himself. But this, 
They are rare. This is one of the moments in the pages where, where you can find yourself on. You can dog ear. The, that's the page you want to sign like for your friends so that they, they see you on it. That's where we are. We are being prayed for by God Almighty. And we continue to be prayed for. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore he, he's talking about Jesus, the high priest, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives. Like, spoiler alert, Easter, we're going to talk on Good Friday about how Jesus died. But then we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday, how Jesus lives. What's he lived to do? What's he been doing all this time? Praying for us. Bringing us before God, mentioning our our names and our struggles and our our life. Like, Christ lives to intercede for us. That's what our high priest is doing. That's what he remains for. If you go back to John chapter 11, it identifies for us who the high priest was that year. His name was Caiaphas. And it says then one of, this is right after Lazarus comes back to life and the the Pharisees and the, the people that are in leadership are freaking out because Jesus is gaining so much traction and so much popularity. And he was the high priest that year and he spoke to him and he says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He didn't realize, he unwillingly is prophesying about what Jesus is about to do. It says he didn't say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And he's okay with that. Like he's ready for Jesus to die so that he'll go quietly and they can continue to be the people that they are living in occupied Rome. And they didn't want the Jewish people to be expelled by Rome. And so we're just kind of living under the umbrella of Rome. And if Jesus dies, then we can continue going on in comfort. And it says this, and not only for that nation, this is my favorite, this is where you are on the page, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. The high priest of Israel was associated with all of the messianic promises that people were waiting for. I'm so glad that we didn't sing about Caiaphas this morning. It would have sounded weird. Like we'd have been like, Caiaphas, Caiaphas, your name. Like it just doesn't sound right. Like I just want to speak the name of Caiaphas. It doesn't roll off the tongue (laughs) in the same way. Like we're not singing about Caiaphas. And I don't think he knew. I don't think he was fully aware of the prophecy that he was proclaiming because yes, this Jesus would come and be the one who dies and it would be for all who would believe. And not just the Jewish nation that they were so intent on protecting, but all of the scattered nations, all of the future people of God, all of the yous and me's in the world. Christ is praying because he died for us and now lives to pray for us. So we look in this prayer. We can find all, all these amazing things that he prayed for. He prayed for protection. I like that one. You do too. Like I like to know that, 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 that Jesus is praying for protection. It says in, in verse 13, I am coming to you now. He's talking to God. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, these disciples of mine, may have the full measure of my joy within them. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Now, Jesus, you might want to rethink this because I would be okay with that. Lord, just take us home. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. 
Like, I love that Jesus is praying for protection, but I think it goes a whole lot further than us getting ready to go on a spring break mission trip or a road trip. We're like, Lord, we just pray for traveling mercies. Like, we just, we want to be protected from all the dangerous things that could happen in the world. Like, we want our children to have this hedge of protection around them when they go off to school or they, they leave our nest. Like, we want a physical protection for ourselves and the people that we love. It's not the kind of protection that Jesus is praying about. He's praying that we would be protected, not from the oncoming traffic, but from the evil one that is in this world. And the great God of this universe loves us more than we love ourselves. He loves my children more than I ever could. And he knows what is absolutely best for us. And so we want to pray that we'll be protected from the evil that's in this world that threatens to take our faith, to take our hope, to take our joy, to take, to take our lives. Jesus prayed for protection. You've heard the, the idea of helicopter parents Sometimes we look at God like he's a helicopter parent, like he's just hovering around, watching every move we make. Or like a lawnmower parent, you know what those are, right? They're just carving a path out for their kids in life. Just, this, is, this is the clear path, guys. Or a bulldozer parent, the ones that are knocking down any obstacle that you know a bulldozer parent. You might be a bulldozer parent. You're not doing your kids any favors. That's not God. He's not any of those kinds of, he's the perfect parent. And the perfect father knows exactly what we need before we need it, before we can ask for it. He knows. And sometimes what we need is the difficult circumstances in the life because sometimes the difficult circumstances in life will protect our faith more than the easy ones. So what does God do? He provides. It says in John 17, 14, I've given them your word. This is what, it's not the airbags that protect me in life. It's, it's this word that protects me in life, this truth that protects me in life. What else did Jesus pray for? He prayed for sanctification. It says in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This, this word, this truth, this story, this narrative, not just the pages that we're on, but all of the pages in between, this is what sanctifies us. And when we're sanctified, when we're set apart as holy, it's not just on the sidelines or on a shelf. We're literally instructed. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith and your hope and your life in him, you are sanctified and set apart for a purpose. And that purpose is that you would be sent. So he instructs us to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey the words that he's commanded because this is the word that protects us. This is the word that sanctifies us. This is the word that instructs us with how we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to live for. What else do you pray for? Multiplication. He prayed for multiplication, assuming that this church would grow. That's the truth about us. It says in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. We're meant to grow. This church is meant to grow and to multiply. 20 years ago, we didn't call it Rolling Hills Community Church, the Franklin campus, because it was Rolling Hills Community Church, the only campus. And then as we started to multiply, and reach other places. The Nolansville campus was launched, and then we had Nolansville, and then we had Franklin, and as we started to grow, and we started to multiply, we had the, the Nashville campus, and as we started to grow, and as we started to multiply, we reached down into Columbia with the Columbia campus, and now we have Haywood Hills and a whole other part of Nashville. FYI, that makes us the middle child. <laughs> it's okay. I'm right there with you. Laying on the floor in Target with a temper tantrum. That's us. Just own it. We're meant to multiply. We're meant to grow. 
And because of the message that was, that was unearthed over 2,000 years ago and sustained by apostles who planted churches all over the Roman Empire and Greece and Asia Minor, it has sustained for these thousands of years so that you and I are the people that are mentioned in John chapter 17, verse 20. We're those who have believed in the message through them. And there are supposed to be other people who believe in the message through us. The glory that we give to God, not for ourselves. Lord, give us glory so that we can give you glory. The whole purpose of our lives is to give glory to God so that other people can see it and we would be a multiplied church. There's definitely people in this room that were not part of Rolling Hills 20 years ago. There are people in this room that were not part of Rolling Hills 20 weeks ago and maybe some that just got here this morning and they haven't been a part of Rolling Hills until just now. Our goal, Christ's assumption of what he prayed for in that moment is that we would be a multiplying church. We celebrate this morning that Jesus prayed. It's the past. We get to read about that prayer in this moment. And he continued it. He went to a garden after this moment in chapter 18. He goes up on the hill to pray. His disciples fall asleep. You know the story. But not only did he pray, he continues to pray in the present for people. And every time that people is mentioned in Scripture, it's plural. You know, in this moment, Jesus isn't just praying for you. I love that. I mean, it's fun to think of Jesus just praying for Nick Allen. Like, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. But it's not just me. It, it, it's, it's we. These are, these are plural. He's not praying for individual believers. He's praying for the collection of believers. And his prayer is John chapter 17, verse 21, that all of them, plural, may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us so that the world why so that the world may believe that you sent me why well, I might be inclined to to love the fact that this passage is about me what what's far more obvious is that it's about us it's not just Jesus praying for the Nick Allens of the future or the Linda Shriners of the future or the Chris Bartons of the future, Andrew Cahills of the future. Yes, he crafted each and every one of us with a specific purpose. He knows each and every one of us, the number of hairs on our head. And according to Job chapter 14, the literal number of days and weeks and months and hours that we will live. He has set a boundary for our lives that we cannot extend. He knows us that intimately. But more than this prayer is about an individual relationship that you might have with Jesus. It's about a family. It's about a kingdom. It's about a community that we might be a part of on this earth through Jesus. A people is different than a collection of a whole bunch of persons. Writer and author, speaker Jenny Allen, we're not related. Who knows? Well, I shouldn't say that. We could go on dna.com and find out we are. Who knows? She writes this in a book called Find Your People. If there is one principle that has shaped my last three years of ministry, and she wrote this more than a year ago, so I imagine it's four years now. Here it is this. Pull people in at every turn. That's why we call this Rolling Hills Community Church. Never do anything alone. Why? Because even God exists in community.
within himself. And we have a perfect picture of it in this morning. This, that the, through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Son is praying to God the Father. Jesus, throughout this entire prayer, and really throughout the entire pages of this book, prioritizes unity. He prioritizes unity. It says in John chapter 17, verse 11, unity. John chapter 17, verse 21, unity. And we continue in John chapter 17, verse 22. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, not so that they would be noticed, but so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then this, it's verse 23. It says, then the world will know. You ever stop to wonder why the world doesn't know? Maybe that's on us. It says, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. That's our goal. That the world may know. It's our John chapter 3, 16 moment. Here we are in the book of glory and we're going all the way back to the book of signs. Like our John three sixteen moment is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Our whole goal is that the world may know. So when we like Jesus are praying prayers of protection, we're also praying a prayer of submission to his word. When we're praying prayers of sanctification, we're praying for that instruction saying that we will do what he's called and commanded us to do. So that when we're praying prayers of multiplication, it's because we understand our responsibility to be a people who take the glory that's alive here on the world through God and give it back to him in such a way that the world might know that he loves them and that he sent Jesus. If there is any component of any of this prayer that's missing in me, it's probably because of what's meant by we. It's not about you, Nick Allen. It's about all of the believers in Jesus Christ who in unity get to represent God in such a way that the rest of the world takes note. Some days we're out here planning for the absolute best moment of our lives and sometimes expecting some of the worst. That's okay. Jesus prayed that we'd be okay for a reason, so that other people could see God. So it's totally fitting this morning that we actually spend some of our last few minutes together in, in prayer. That, that we might be a people who, who surrender ourselves, who, who, who submit, who say, okay, God, it, it's your word, your truth, your instruction. I just, he says, like, I finished the work that you gave me to do. We want to be about the work that God has for us to do. And if there are as many moments as there are in the New Testament where Jesus is going to his Father in prayer, how much more do we need all of those moments where we are going to God in prayer? Now, sometimes when you pray, you might bow your head and close your eyes. And that's, that's a reverence thing, but it's also a submission thing. You know, what does a knight do when they go before the king to be Don Sir Nicholas? They, they, they bow their head. And then the sword goes one side to the other. You know, the back of their neck is not covered by armor. Their chest is, their back is, other parts are. But the knight bowing down on their knee, exposing the back of their neck, is saying to the king, my life is yours. You can use it or you can take it. 
I belong to you. So, so we bow when we pray. Now this morning, I want you to do something that's a little bit awkward for you. You can kind of keep your eyes open because we're going to put some prompts on the screen. You're going to need to read those. And even though your head may be up and your eyes may be open, do it with a posture in your heart of submission. Of telling the great God of this universe, it's about your word. It's about your truth. It's about the work that we've given to you. My life is in your hands. You can take it or use it. I belong to you. And so we're going to pray some things that Jesus acknowledged and prayed for. You may want to, if you're comfortable, kind of open up your hands and, and leave them facing up, almost in a readiness to receive. I believe that when we receive from God, it's what he wants to give us is big. We want to we bend at the knee and not strain our backs because what God wants to bless us with is bigger than anything that you and I can ever imagine. And so we come to him submissively, but we also come to him expectantly knowing that what he has for us is better than anything that we might craft for ourselves. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray for salvation. So this is eternal life. That they, they way back then and, and they here right now, might know God, the only true God. And that, that happens through Jesus Christ, the one that he sent. So this morning, I give you a moment to pray. Pray by name for people in your family, for people in your community, from people in your workplace, from people in your classrooms, from neighbors down the street, from people that are not here but you long to be here. And the reason they're not here is because they don't believe in anything that's happening here. And you know that they need Jesus, but they don't know that they need Jesus. So take a moment, call out names, pray for salvation. Take a moment in that, in, that, in that same submissive, expectant attitude to, to pray for protection. Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world. The world's a hard place. It would be better if you did. But he says that you protect them from the evil one. We are in an everyday spiritual battle beyond what we can see and beyond what we can understand. It is not against people and ideas we're not rallied up against all the people that we disagree with on social media. It's not against people and ideas. It's against the dark prince of this world who desires for us to stop believing in this word. That's why Jesus said, John 17, 14, I have given them your word. And the enemy wants to tell us that this word's not true. And he wants to tell us that the word's not enough. So this morning, pray for protection not the kind that comes from traveling mercies or protection from difficult circumstances, but the kind that comes from a complete and total reliance on this word. And then also boldly ask God to put some people around you, to find some people to hold your back and to hold you up and to watch where you go and hold you accountable to believing in this truth.
We cannot not pray for unity today. You see, division is easy and fellowship is real fragile. It is so easily broken and so difficult to repair. So pray for unity. Pray for restoration in families and in friendships. And then pray for unity among God's people. You can pray for it here at this campus of Rolling Hills that, that, that we may be one, unified in our faith and in our resolve and in our mission. You can pray for it for all the Rolling Hills campuses that we would be one in our representation of just how good God is. But you can pray for all churches in our area. Pray for Emmanuel that's on our property. Pray for Westwood down the street or Cross Point and Church of the City all over this area. Pray for Avenue South or Forest Hills or Midtown. That all these churches in this 615 would be unified in such a way about our love for God. We don't have to all be the same, but may we be unified in our love for God, our commitment to Christ, and our desire to see people come to faith. Pray for unity and pray for the points that start with you. And just like Jesus, pray in love. Pray that that would be the guiding principle and and the barometer of our lives. Pray to commit yourself and this church to be a believer who sees Jesus, follows Jesus, and most of all, loves like Jesus. He acknowledged that, that the world does not know God, but they can if they'll meet and acknowledge the, the Savior that he sent. And so may we in love make him known to everybody that we know so that they can recognize how good he is too. Maybe, just maybe, you're sitting here today and you think this is weird. We don't, we don't do this kind of prayer every week, but we do reserve part of our corporate gatherings every week and make our prayers and petitions to God. Why? Because we believe He hears us. We believe that He loves us. We believe that He has a purpose for us. And I don't want anybody to leave here today without locking it down. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know where life is going to take you next. You don't know what sort of things are being sent out there in the world. So, so, so put a ring on it. Lock it down. Tell Jesus today that you want to trust him with your life. We prayed for salvation, and may it even spring up here this morning for people to say, okay, I recognize who you are, Jesus, and I want to tell you that I trust you, Jesus, And as hard as it might be, I want to follow your way, Jesus. I would love nothing more than to see some box checked on the bottom of a card this morning or to have a conversation before someone leaves here today to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He is the only way. God, you're good, and we tell you today that this week holds really good, exciting moments that we can't wait for, but it also holds in context, some things that we are dreading. 
Help us to follow your will and way in both and be a people of love who take whatever blessings you've given us and offer glory to you so that people will see how much you love them. It's in your holy and perfect, precious name that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.